So this is an area where regulation could really benefit the cryptocurrency industry if it's focused on the collateralization requirements, but regulation to prohibit the use of algorithms because these under collateralized iterations were confusingly named would be terrible for the future of Web3. Hi, and welcome back to What Kind of Internet Do You Want? I'm Amy James, and today we're talking about stablecoins. There has been a lot of drama, controversy, and confusion about stablecoins this year, so we are going to break down the basics and talk about what they are, how they work, and the purpose they serve on Web3. By the way, we're talking about stablecoins today because we received requests for this topic. We love your requests. So if there's a topic that you'd like us to talk about, please reach out and let us know. You can leave a comment down below or reach out to us on social media. And before we jump in, please hit the like button, subscribe to the channel and hit the bell so that you'll get notified about new episodes and let's get into it. So what are stablecoins? Stablecoins are meant to create a digital currency that has a fixed value rather than a free-floating market price. As we've talked about previously, before Bitcoin, the web didn't have native value transfer. And if you missed that video, um, we'll link it here and put it in the description below if you want to check it out. But what we haven't talked about yet is that because of the way Bitcoin works, it has a free-floating market price. This means that the exchange price of Bitcoin in terms of dollars or euros or whatever currency you're using fluctuates based on market supply and demand similar to a commodity. And the trouble with this is that it makes it difficult to use Bitcoin for online commerce. You may have heard of that guy that bought two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoins in 2010. That was roughly about $40 in value at the time. But at today's exchange price, about 12 years later, the Bitcoin spent for those pizzas would be worth $200 million. But the issue isn't just that the exchange price of Bitcoin tends to go up over long periods of time, it's that the price can fluctuate significantly from day to day, hour to hour, even minute to minute, depending on the market conditions. And the problem with this is that if you're going to try to use Bitcoin as native value transfer to sell something online, you can't set your prices denominated in Bitcoin. If you were to do so, it would create wildly unpredictable results. If the price of Bitcoin drops dramatically, you could end up taking a loss. And if the price of Bitcoin increases, well, customers would see the goods as overpriced. Don't get me wrong, Bitcoin is amazing. Web3 was unlocked because of the incredible power of Bitcoin, but it won't be the only cryptocurrency used on Web3. There will be many, each with unique features that serve a role in the market. So a sort of hack that has been used to deal with the problem of Bitcoin's price fluctuation is to price products for sale in dollars or whatever fiat currency would typically be used, and then looking up the exchange price for Bitcoin at the time of the sale. It's a decent workaround, but it still has problems. For example, micropayment purchases, like a fraction of a penny to execute a basic smart contract or store a document in the permaweb are especially challenging with this method. So stable coins are intended to offer a solution. However, 
most online commerce is not yet happening in cryptocurrency, stablecoins, or otherwise. Right now, the majority of stablecoin usage is by decentralized finance, which is often referred to as DeFi. Because stablecoins give traders a stable store of value so that they can keep money available to use as market conditions change. It can take around three days to transfer fiat currency like US dollars from a bank into a cryptocurrency exchange like Coinbase, and this time delay can mean missing arbitrage opportunities or buying opportunities when prices dip. So stable coins are a really important tool for traders, and traders benefit the whole ecosystem because their trading activity helps to stabilize the market. One way to think of stablecoins is like a currency peg. Throughout history, there have been many examples of one country attempting to peg the value of its currency to that of another more widely transacted currency in order to encourage the use of their own. An interesting factoid that I came across in my research is that historically all currency pegs eventually fail because of the challenge of maintaining them. Some examples include the Swiss franc euro peg, the renminbi US dollar peg, and of course the most well known, the US dollar dropping the gold standard. But those were all fiat currencies. So one big question is, can open source and publicly auditable blockchain technology do it better? We will get into the problems that stablecoins have faced, but first let's talk about the types of stablecoins and how they work. There are two basic categories of stablecoins, reserve-backed and algorithmic. And just a quick note on that, we talked about algorithms in our video about cryptography, so I don't want to cause confusion or imply that algorithmic stablecoins are the same as algorithms in cryptography. An algorithm is just a process or a set of rules. The forms of algorithms and the way that they are used in cryptography is really different than how they're used for stablecoins. Okay, so the first type, reserved back stablecoins, are collateralized to ensure their value. Some are backed by fiat currency like US dollars, some are backed by commodities like gold, and some are backed by other cryptocurrencies. Typically, the fiat or commodity used for collateral is held by some kind of regulated institution, often a traditional bank, and the stablecoin tokens are not generated by a decentralized network of miners like they are with Bitcoin, but rather they are created by the centralized institution that holds the reserves. The main criticism of this method is that it requires a centralized institution to hold the reserves. So this means that unlike typical uses of blockchain technology where everything can be transparently verified, it can be potentially difficult to audit and verify that the reserves have the amount that the centralized institution claims. The most well-known example of this issue is when Tether faced accusations that they were not holding as much in reserve as they said they were. Crypto-backed stablecoins can also fall somewhere between the categories of reserve-backed and algorithmic because while they use reserve backing, not all of them depend on a centralized institution. Stablecoins that are backed by other cryptocurrencies can be easier to audit than those that are backed by fiat or commodities since the balance is transparently available on the blockchain, but the potential weakness of this approach is that they are depending on 
more volatile assets for their reserve backing. For example, one of the most popular crypto-backed stablecoins is DAI. It's decentralized and uses smart contracts to manage the acceptance of collateral and the dispensation of tokens, which maintain its peg. There's also another type of stablecoin that sort of falls under the reserve back method as well, which are central bank digital currencies, also known as CBDCs. These are issued by governments. They aren't backed by an asset like fiat, gold, or crypto, but rather by the full faith and credit of whatever government issued it, similar to the backing of other fiat currencies. The difference between CBDCs and stablecoins that are reserved backed by fiat currencies is that CBDCs essentially remove the middleman. A stablecoin like Tether cannot print more dollars. If it wants to issue more coins, it needs to actually obtain more dollars. Whereas a CBDC is more like the Federal Reserve in that they have the ability to simply create more tokens as they see fit. The other basic category of stablecoins has been dubbed algorithmic stablecoins. At a basic level, algorithmic stablecoins use a smart contract to increase or decrease the amount of coins in circulation based on the coin's price. Coin price, of course, is based on supply and demand. If a lot of people start to buy at the same time, the market price will increase. So in order to keep the peg price, the stablecoin smart contract issues more coins or adjusts the network incentives to meet that demand and maintain the stability of the coin's value. Conversely, if many people start to sell, it will drive the market price of the coin down. So the smart contract would remove coins from the supply or adjust the incentives to maintain the coin's peg. But I want to emphasize that the name, quote, algorithmic stablecoins is really unfortunate and frankly somewhat misleading because the problem is not the algorithm. What made this type of so-called stablecoins so very unstable is that they don't have real collateral. Many reserve-backed stablecoins like DAI that I mentioned earlier use algorithms to manage the available coin supply on the market and their performance has been excellent. Even during extreme Market volatility recently, DAI did a great job of maintaining its peg and didn't waver more than two-tenths of a penny. The type of risky, under-collateralized, so-called algorithmic stablecoins use a two-coin structure. One is not pegged and increases or decreases depending on market volatility, while the other is supposed to keep the peg. And this is where the issue comes in, because the one that is handling the market volatility is supposed to sort of function as a form of collateral, but the creation of it is endogenous. There is not a separate outside source for this collateral, like fiat currency or another cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Ethereum. It's internally created. The issuer of the unstable stable coin is just creating more coins. And what this means is that when the price of the non-pegged coin increases, it can have explosive growth. But when the price inevitably decreases, it no longer has enough value to back the pegged coins and the peg is broken. And the ramifications of a stable coin losing its peg are really 
serious. Terra became the most infamous algorithmic unstable stablecoin when it lost its peg this year. Terra had been pegged one-to-one with the US dollar, but once it became depegged, it took just four days for the price to fall more than 97%. And this had a dramatic effect on the entire crypto industry market, causing almost a trillion dollars in losses. And this wasn't because Terra had had a trillion dollar market cap itself, but because it was connected to so many other things that it caused an enormous amount of downward pressure on the tokens that traded against it, which essentially led to a bank run. In the six weeks after Terra lost its peg, the global cryptocurrency market cap fell from 1.6 trillion to 820 billion. So this is an area where regulation could really benefit the cryptocurrency industry if it's focused on the collateralization requirements, but regulation to prohibit the use of algorithms because these under-collateralized iterations were confusingly named would be terrible for the future of Web3. While the ultimate fate of cryptocurrency stablecoins may be uncertain, what is clear is that reserve-backed stablecoins whether they use an algorithm or not, are the, well, much more stable option. And that's it for today. If there is a topic you'd like us to cover about Web3, reach out to me at Amy of Alexandria, and be sure to follow the channel at Web3WG. Don't forget to hit the like button and subscribe to the channel. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next time.